0: Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. To kick off September, we head to the Big Apple, where at the end of the month, the Garden Conservancy is holding its inaugural Garden Futures Summit, September 29th and 30th. In preparation, we thought we'd dedicate two episodes to checking in on some garden lives in the city. This week we're in conversation with photographer, artist, author, and gardener Nock Min No, sharing more about her newest work, profiling more than 40 exceptional parks and gardens of the five boroughs that comprise New York City. The book is entitled New York Green. From tiny corner lots to acres of old growth forests, New York is filled with a wealth of beautiful green spaces if you know where to look, Nock writes. And she shows us just where to look. Nock has been a previous guest on Cultivating Place back in 2018. And Nock, I am so pleased to welcome you back today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me back.
0: So, I've introduced you a little bit. Go ahead and introduce yourself the way you like to introduce yourself. And if you could, please include in that how you perceive the role or importance of plants in your life right now, personally and professionally, Nock. Um, so I'm a primarily a
1: photographer. And I have spent a lot of time in gardens and in green spaces and being around plants and flowers. And I just personally find it very enriching um, to be around nature in general and, and, plant, and, and plants and flowers and trees. And it's an appreciation that grows all the time. And it started from when I was young, and it is something that I didn't necessarily pay attention to, but in looking back, I you know, was always happy being in nature. So that just grew with time and intention. So um, as you know, I live in New York City, and it is a city, mm. and it might seem like a contradiction that for someone who loves nature, To be living as long as I have in the city and still love it. But the presence of nature is very pervasive within the city. And that's what has kept me here.
0: Yeah. Now, we last spoke about your book, Bringing Nature Home, but you've had a couple of books between then and now. Give us just a a little bit of your professional arc uh, from your first books Mm -hmm. until now, including maybe a tiny synopsis of uh, your other most recent book?
1: Um, So I've been very, very lucky in that I am able to work on my own projects as well as collaborating, as you said, with very, very interesting people. I did a book on people who work with flowers or I'm just fascinated with people who like myself have a passion for mm-hmm. flowers. So I did this book called In Bloom. And so I I documented um 12 different people who have a passion for flowers and 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 who make their life better living um with flowers in some capacity. And and one of those people is Umberto Pasti, and we have since become very, very good friends. And he has this most passionate project in Morocco where he tries to save the wildflowers of um, northern Morocco. And so I've done two books with him. The first one was a documentation of this place called Ruhuna, where this project where he plants rescued bulbs from construction sites and other places all around, outside of Tangier, around Northern Morocco. And he brings them to this place and, and it's a big, huge landscape where they are nurtured and saved. Um, A lot of these wildflowers were once a big part of the culture of the things that made him fall in love with Tangier in the first mm-hmm. place. And as he saw them disappear, he became um, committed to saving them for the future, for the youth of Tangier and the youth of Northern Morocco to know that these things exist. And because for him, these flowers are portals to other worlds, other to the culture that came with them.
0: Mm.
1: And so um, we did that book and it was called Eden Revisited. And then after that, I did another book with him, which documents his home in Tangier, which again is this sort of similar idea in that he has collected enormous amount of objects that, celebrate the crafts of Northern Morocco, like painted wood tiles. And he just, he's incredibly knowledgeable about them and and is basically um, saving these crafts by honoring them and giving them place in the importance of the culture of Northern Morocco.
0: Yeah. And I think in part, I really wanted you to walk through some, the the scope of some of your other work, because I think all of the threads of curiosity and engagement and even almost adoration of both the, the human crafted, but also the the nature born in our world and how they come together. These are threads that you really take up in an interesting way in New York Green. And I was really happy, Nock, to open the book and be mm-hmm. able to just savor and immerse myself in not only your beautiful photography, but in your incredibly interesting prose that is literary, that is historic, that is very researched, but is also very poetic. And it's one of the things I have truly come to appreciate about your work in particular. But let's start with the catalyst. Tell us about your germination story for this book and the research and photography behind it.
1: So this is another instance where I was extremely lucky Um, I didn't have the idea for the book myself. It came to me. um, The editor, Bridget Monroe Aitken, had this idea, and it was during the pandemic, um, to do a book on New York parks. And um, an agent came to me and asked if I would be interested because they thought that I would be the right person for the project. And it was during the pandemic. And it was the first time where I spent an extended amount of time in New York. I had just canceled all of my travels. Mm. And so I took it on. And the project for me began with a book that I read 10 years before um, by Eric Sanderson. It's called Manhattan. And it and is an extremely important book, an extremely influential book, and an extremely beautiful book about what New York was like before Henry Hudson landed here. And it presents us with this view of Manhattan, or the island of Manhattan, that was so incredibly vivid Um, and rich and it really makes you appreciate the ecological, what he called the ecological nirvana Mm -hmm. that this place once was and it actually has become somewhat of a, a referential point for a lot of landscape architecture in this city in dealing with Climate change. It's being used to recreate some of the ecological conditions that made the island resilient and also to educate future generations. So, a lot of the new parks have these ecological educational components to them that I feel are extremely important. So I started with that book and, and that vision of the city. And also because I, I love reading and and so um the poetry of Walt Whitman again is it's a celebration of what makes New York City so wonderful for him as a person in the 19th century, which still today is applicable mm-hmm. for someone like me who lives here on the in the twenty first century. So, with those strands of um of literary and ecological uh, importance of the city, I started talking to people in community gardens, um, landscape architects, and it was just incredibly interesting and enlightening to get this very detailed and granular picture of the city by the people who make up the city yeah yeah and and so that's what i wanted to come through in the book and that is a celebration of the city and the people who make this place yeah. and the natural beauty of this place that we
0: were blessed with to begin with. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Nachmin Noh is a photographer and artist, an author, and a flower and garden lover. She's with us this week to share more about her newest book, New York Green, dedicated to the many valuable and accessible green spaces of the city she calls home. From tiny corner lots to acres of old-growth forests, New York is filled with a wealth of beautiful green spaces. If you know where to look, Nock writes. And she shows us just where to look. Stay with us, we'll be right back for more. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Cato Shaw Foundation. The Cato Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity cultivating places also made possible through support from the garden conservancy a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to preserve share and celebrate gardens and america's gardening traditions we are just a few short late summer weeks away from the garden futures summit with lectures and discussions on friday september 29th at one of new york's most famous gardens New York Botanical Garden, and visits to other gardens across the city's five boroughs on Saturday, September 30th. Do you have your ticket? I do. I hope to see you there. Hey, it's Jennifer. This is one of those busy times in a garden and garden writer's life. My next book, What We Sow, is about to publish, and there is a lot of energy spent trying to launch her well. It is good work to do, and I am grateful for it. There are end-of-season garden talks and events filling out the calendar, and my traveling starts once again, which is gratifying. If you are listening to this on Thursday, the 31st of August, when it first goes live, I'm speaking today at the glorious Coastal Maine Botanic Garden in Booth Bay Harbor, hopefully enjoying the company of many of you. And I'm headed to my several educational visits and talks in Cincinnati, Ohio on September 6th and 7th, a very particular type of engagement I enjoy deeply interacting with students who are just beginning to form, to grow, the full visions for their futures. I have visited places of higher education and engaged with students and faculty and staff in Oregon, California, Ohio, the South. All of these students and educators of all ages and all backgrounds, they are the hope my friends, every bit as much as each one of our gardens. Cumulatively, we are seeding the future we want to grow. We're back now to our conversation with photographer and author Nock Min No, based in New York City. Her newest work, New York Green, is a love song to the diverse and abundant green spaces of the city, all of which make it a more humane and beautiful place to live. As we come back, Nock shares her process, for choosing, and then profiling these many green spaces in a storied and vast city.
1: One of the first things that we agreed on was that it would have all five boroughs. So all five boroughs would be represented. And then it was a question of narrowing down. And it was actually very, very difficult to narrow down yeah. um, the number of places because there are there are so many places and there and there are places that I wish I had been able to include it, but we were limited by the number of pages and we didn't want to make it too thick. And, you know, it would be, we wanted, first of all, we wanted to be something useful. So it was small enough Mm -hmm. that you could possibly carry it around with you and not be overwhelmed. And, With that in mind, I wanted to have a pretty wide cross-section of the type of places. So in New York, technically, um, we have different categories of green spaces. There are public parks, as we know them, big and small. And then there are community gardens. And then there are privately owned public spaces and they're called pops as an acronym and there's a fascinating history with those and then you know and then like one of the places that is in the book is actually near me and it was originally a private garden that was then um when the person passed away it was given to the community and then there's a public land trust that could buy the place and keep it open as a public space. Mm -hmm. So there are many different ways in which a space becomes public. So first of all, all of these spaces are public. So everyone
0: has access to them. That was the point of the book as well. Let me clarify that they are public. Are they free or are some of them ticketed? They're all free. Good. Okay. And, And that was
1: the point of the book. That, you know, Central Park was built upon this very democratic ideal that it's green space is for the people. So, yes, I so said that was the point of the book as well.
0: Yeah. So for those people that aren't as familiar with New York, remind us of the five boroughs. And okay. uh, and then maybe let's walk through some of these different kinds of mm-hmm. uh of gardens that we're finding in in the several boroughs. Uh, the the lion share of gardens or green spaces is showing up in the borough of Manhattan for for good reason. Um, right. But yeah, tell us about the the five boroughs and why was it important that you included all of them, Nock?
1: Well, I think it's important that um New New York, most people think of New York as Manhattan and new york is the five boroughs if if you live in new york it it is the five boroughs you know there are certain boroughs that don't get enough attention um like the bronx or parts of queens it is a vast place and and it is diverse you know manhattan is a small part i mean geographically manhattan is A fairly small part of the whole entire city. Mm. Queens and Brooklyn are much larger. So yeah, for that, the sense of um, diversity, I think it's important to include all five boroughs. But like you said, the bulk of the places are in Manhattan, because Manhattan does have the most green spaces, mm-hmm. not necessarily in terms of um, square footage, yeah, but um, it does have the most number of green spaces.
0: Yeah. I, it perhaps has the greatest density of the most population, as well as perhaps the greatest financial resources. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, to to remind people, the uh the five boroughs are the Bronx, Manhattan, Staten Island, Brooklyn, and Queens. One of the things I loved was, uh, as a person who is quasi familiar with the city and the surrounding boroughs, but definitely more familiar with some than others, is that for each entry, you include uh, a sort of brief description you know, a kind of tagline to give you a sense of Mm -hmm. what kind of green space this particular one might be, any particular Mm -hmm. one might be. You identify when it was established, how big it is, where you can find the entrance, which is often a key piece of information that is hard to get to, Um, Mm -hmm. the public transit that you can take to get there. I loved that inclusion, Nock. And um, and then, of course, the website so that you can find out things like when they're open and you include, again, which I really I love and I'm not sure who compiled it, but you include a cr- kind of cross-referencing list of the best of these parks for a handful of different activities so that people who live there or people who are visiting can quickly say, I want to go kayaking this weekend. What is the best mm-hmm. park for that I want to see right. flowers in this season. Mm-hmm. What is the best green space for that, etc.? It's a pretty long list. Did you compile this? Did you as a team compile this? Because I found this innovative and useful.
1: That was entirely my um compilation. Yeah. It was just sort of my personal experience mm-hmm. of the spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I kayaked, but my husband did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at um, Brooklyn Bridge Park um, and you know so so that's how I saw those places um, so that was purely a personal point of view I'm sure people could find other things that they love doing in those spaces mm. but um, that, that's just something that I wanted to share as a starting point
0: and a lot that do with Um, the idea of nature in the city, wildlife in the city, and Mm -hmm. the importance of these spaces, not just to humans, but to that interface between us and the more wild world, which I really appreciated.
1: Right. And I think that goes back to Eric Sanderson's book. Mm -hmm. What What I learned from that book was how... The Native Americans lived in this space, in this place for centuries without destroying the environment. And then within 300, 400 years, we completely changed it and in many places destroyed it. And and then we're just now learning how to undo a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um with a lot of these new parks, the way they're built and everything. And and like I said before, the educational components, um, making people aware of the different ecological habitats and how this space is not just for us, but for the wildlife. And in the end, is mutually
0: beneficial. Let's go through the boroughs. What do you think? And just pick, okay. let's pick one garden. I mean, it will be hard to pick one, right? Because yes, there are some yes. big ones. But I maybe let's avoid the biggest ones that people already know so much about uh, or can mm-hmm. find so much information about them. You know, the New York Botanical Garden is up in the Bronx. Uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but maybe pick one of one of the other. I think there are a total of four in the Bronx. Pick one of them to mm-hmm. share a little bit more about maybe something you learned uh, or a surprising, Uh, element that you took away from doing the research and experiencing that place for this project
1: right so like you said the Bronx um, has the New York Botanical Garden which is an incredible resource and is is an incredible place but on the other um, not quite the other end of the spectrum perhaps but and a more wild place in the Bronx is the Pelham Bay Park. There are these islands and there are these trails that you can walk. And it's the most incredible landscape. Like I think in the book, there's a picture that I took um, when I went on one of those walks in the fall. So it's these islands. So you, you see the water and the meadows and the, old growth forest and you can walk through and it's incredibly removed and it takes you back centuries Mm -hmm. almost um so it's such a incredible transporting place that I honestly in 30 years of living here had never
0: been to until then right Well, and I'd never even heard of it. And the fact that it's the city's largest park, I would never have known that knock. Yes, it is. I mean, so it
1: is a large park. And I think Robert Moses had built an artificial beach there. And, you know, a lot of it is a built environment. But then there are these areas where you can go on these trails
0: that are, you know, in the Oak Grove Forest and Um, that are incredible yeah yeah and I do love again how for each entry you include the human history starting as far back as you can find uh, as well as the natural history so uh, this starts with some information about the the earliest cultures there Um, Mm -hmm. the I might get this pronunciation wrong the Suwanois Yes. noise, And then you end yes. with a moth species that only makes its life here, which was, yes. yeah, which is a, which was a wonderful detailed addition, um, asking us to carry information at this kind of detailed level, uh, which I appreciate a lot.
1: Yes. I think that's the richness of, of New York that, you know, people don't think of. And I think New York has this reputation of being steel and concrete, it's a concrete jungle and all of that, but it's also an incredibly rich naturally place. And, this, and I find this coexistence between wildlife and human life um, incredibly interesting and necessary. Mm-hmm. And in, and and part of it is um the history park is so important because from learning about the past of this place, it gives us um a blueprint for future solutions for this place.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's move to Manhattan. And I would love to have you do Two gardens from here, and I, I have a preference. And I'll so I'll tell okay. you, I'll tell you my preferences. Uh, but okay. you, if you would really like to share another one, um, share no, share no. another one. Um, but the two that I just love one I have loved for a very long time, and the other was brand new to me. So let's start with the Met Cloisters.
1: Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly beautiful place. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible. I mean, it is a tr- It's in Manhattan technically, but it is a trek to get to. So a lot of people don't manage to make it there. Um, but once you get there, it is, is such an incredible place. I mean, the fact that that these cloisters had been had been reassembled from fragments taken from europe Mm -hmm. and then recreated here on the island of manhattan Mm -hmm. and it's in a it's a beautiful spot of manhattan as well it's elevated it's got an incredible view of the hudson river um it's so transporting it it takes you to another time and place, you could be in medieval Europe. You know, when you're there, and they do such an amazing job um, with these cloister gardens. The gardeners who work there are so dedicated, and it, they they create these beautiful cloister gardens that are cared for
0: in every season. It's a jewel. Within the building, um, and this is sort of a a pinnacle of colonial uh, acquisitiveness, it is, you know, Rockefeller money coming together to put on this, you know, collected item from another place and reconstructing it here. And yet, in our lifetimes while there is a lot to take issue with in how and why it got here, it did get mm-hmm. here and it is beautiful mm-hmm. and in, in its own way, but it is full of rich history and the way it is mm-hmm. being stewarded as a resource for the people going forward. That is where I find redemption.
1: Exactly. We, we can't do anything about the past, right? But no, we have the future. So like you said, the stewardship and, Giving people that rich history is such a gift. Yeah.
0: And so the thing that I didn't ever understand was that so inside the cloister structures, the buildings, there is this also, likewise, very, very colonial collection of of old tapestries. And in the tapestries they have identified all of these species of plants and they have chosen i think what is it 50 yes of those plants are then planted in the garden so there there is this conversation between the history mm-hmm. and uh of the human culture in the plant culture and it, it just it was a an un scene or invisible conversation that to have you pointed out to us was just, I was like, wow, I love that.
1: (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's the beauty of that Mm -hmm. place is that you, you can go there and be transported to a different time and place and see how people lived and, and what was important to them, that plant culture um, and see the connection between the plants that they grew and how those plants are embedded in the culture, in their art, and in
0: their domestic life. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Nock Min Noh is a photographer and artist, an author, and a flower and garden lover. She is with us this week to share more about her newest book, New York Green, dedicated to the many valuable and accessible, storied green spaces of the city she calls home. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more with Nok. Hey, it's Jennifer again, and I do have a very full calendar of events this fall from Maine to Ohio, California to New York. Check out the constantly updating events page at cultivatingplace.com forward slash events. Washington, Missouri, Michigan, and Indiana, I'm heading your way in spring 2024. If you have an organization or are a group who would like to speak more with me about the possibility of me visiting you, just reach out. Send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com. I would love to be in conversation about possibilities in the coming year. We're back now to our conversation with Nok Min No, photographer and gardener and author based in New York City. Her newest work, New York Green, is dedicated to the diverse, abundant, and valuable green spaces of her city, all of which make it a more humane place to live. As we come back, Nok is sharing more about a particular example of All of this in the Liz Christie Community Garden, the first community garden in the city dating back to the 1970s.
1: Oh, it is my favorite. So that history is incredible. Um, And we're so lucky that one of the original members of the group that started that garden is still with us and his name is Donald Loggins and I was able to hear his reminiscences of the time and really get a full picture like I, he sent me some old pictures from the 70s of when they first started there and so to hear that first person account of this place was one of the gifts of this project for me mm-hmm. yeah. um and sadly and and Liz Christie I how how I wish I could have met her she was such an amazing young woman and sadly she died quite young um mm. but it just started from this impulse of wanting to make a better environment for these children Mm -hmm. who she one day had seen playing in this abandoned lot. Um, And from that, she started a whole movement around the city of reclaiming these spaces, um, making them into gardens and, um, making life better for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's a long lasting legacy that she um, left us. And um, so so that that's basically how it started. She just was walking by the space. She had a studio nearby and saw these children playing in these refrigerators that had been dumped there. And mm-hmm. she just thought, why not make a garden out of this space so these children will have a better place to play and she was a genius at um, landscape design. She mm. laid out the paths and New York, as you know, is on a grid. So instead of straight lines, she made these meandering paths, mm. which still exists to this day. And so as you walk around the garden, you just have these little secret corners. You don't know what you will see next as you turn, you know, the corner. Um, So that's a wonderful element of design for the garden. And then um, at the time, she also divided out the garden into sections and let people make their own sort of like an allotment system and invited people to come and, and garden there. And as a result, all these different people from different cultures would come and plant their own Um, vegetables and shared recipes um, of how to cook these things. And it was incredible. I mean, I read these old articles about the place and, and, and how it was run in the beginning. So it was a thriving, lively place where a lot of cultural exchanges were taking place and a beautiful environment created for everyone. And then the city then came along and tried to reclaim the space and tried to evict them. And and Liz Christie was so savvy that she went to the newspaper and said, look, we've made this place 10 times better than what it was before. And now the city wants to kick us out. So of course an article was written and people were outraged and so the city backtracked and then gave them a lease for a dollar on the land
0: Mm.
1: and and that was officially the first community garden in New York City
0: right which was amazing and I didn't know that and you know at this time I think and you make this clear in the introduction that you know, New York had this early heyday in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And then it, you know, essentially got bigger, got poorer, there was disinvestment. Mm-hmm. And by the 1960s, 1970s, it was a poster child for urban decay, right. for for poverty and for neglected lots and for, uh, you know, flight out of the city somewhere else, the rise of suburbia, all of those things. And so, the view of New York at that time, this, this person could have been somebody who left. And instead, they stayed and they dug in right. and uh created this first community garden and was the founding of the green gorillas. And it's really, it's really a beautiful right. story as well as a, a powerful place.
1: It is, it is. And 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 the story of the green gorilla. So, you know, I was told Don Don Loggins told me that so Liz Christie every weekend she would drive around in her little car with materials with plants and everything and she would go to all these different places and would teach people how to plant them and create their own community gardens mm-hmm. and and that is such a an incredible spirit and that I think it comes out of there's something, there's always a silver lining, I think, in every situation. And I think that kind of environment that you were just describing, the mm-hmm. uh, the urban decay that people, some people would want to walk away from, it's spurred people like Liz Christie to something so great and incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so... The thing about New York that makes it so dynamic is that there there is an incredible energy, and people respond to the situation in different ways, but often in such inspiring ways. Mm. And 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 that for me it's again, the project just gave me such an appreciation, not only of the natural. Um, richness of this place, but the people have yeah. appreciated that and made it richer.
0: No, they're very inspiring stories, and and hers, you know, gave me gave me goosebumps yes, to some extent. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, let's move to our next one, um and I would love to have you talk. You have a couple of cemeteries mm-hmm. in the book. I would love to have you talk about Greenwood Cemetery. And now we are in the borough of Remind Me? It's Brooklyn. Me which borough we're it's in? in Brooklyn. In yes. Brooklyn.
1: Okay, good. Yeah. So Greenwood is one of those um, 19th century inventions, you know, before public parks were a thing. There was this idea that you can make cemeteries, these beautiful spaces where people would come on the weekend and especially in cities to have picnics, to go for walks and drives in this beautiful pastoral landscape. So that's how it started. And and, and so it had sort of a double function. It was a cemetery, but also a park is like one of the, first kinds of public parks as we know it in America Mm -hmm. and then today it's evolved and it's become an arboretum it's become an art space it's also a space for um, environmental um, awareness because these green spaces make up a green corridor that it's very very important for bird migration so it has all these different functions as well it's constantly evolving um, but it holds the history of the city in terms of the people who are buried there and it holds the history of the um, city in terms of the kind of trees the kind of um, native species that we have um, as well as other um exotic trees and plants and and then they have these incredible um artistic um performances dances as well as art installations is is really really well
0: stewarded in all those different ways and and i loved that sort of stacking functions mm-hmm. right of a place that was dedicated and and could be considered static right. but is now a community center a, a cultural center right. a a bird watchers mm-hmm. paradise and it's this kind of innovative reuse multi-use and transformation of of perspective and intention that i think is where we want to see our cities going in how they use space, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. But also, you know, it it really brings people to nature in such um, in such a necessary way because it really gives you an appreciation of nature on so many different levels. You know, it 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 really brings out the environmental um importance it and the beauty, the history,
0: and the culture and there's this this kind of ironic, but but also, I mean, it could sort of be tongue-in- cheek, but it's also very real, uh, full circle nature of what a garden teaches us, what a green space and nature teach us uh, to get comfortable with right. because it's part of every day. And that is, you know, Mortality. Life, death, life again. Yes. Yeah, and 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 yeah. yeah, the the cycle starts over and mm-hmm. over. Now, I skipped Staten Island, and I didn't mean to. Okay. Uh, there are only two gardens or or green spaces that you share from Staten Island, and I I think I'd love to have you talk about the New York uh, Chinese Scholars Garden.
1: Okay, so again, it is it's a very unexpected green space in New York City. And yeah. um, again, it's one of those places where you go and you're completely transported. You're just in a different place and time. Um, that's what I love about it. And um, it was an incredible project that brought actual artisans from China to build this space, um, to build this garden. And it, it, it is as... I guess as authentic as you can get from being outside of China that you to be able to get a glimpse of what a Chinese garden entails. So it, it is it is beautiful and it is um it it teaches you to look at gardens from a different perspective. It, it introduces you to a different culture. Um mm-hmm. and but it's in the middle of Staten Island. <laughs> right yeah. right
0: and and i love the it the the visual um and tangible sense of our green spaces carry our cultures all of our cultures for for better or for worse and um and to see this honoring in this space at this time Mm -hmm. still so beautifully cared Mm -hmm. for holding all of that history Mm -hmm. is really, it's really meaningful, um, I think, to visitors uh, to know that it's there Mm -hmm. and to hold it up as an example. Right. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and the one thing about Staten Island, Staten Island will have
1: a very, very big part soon. Um, I'm not sure when it is expected to open, but Fresh Kill, which was a um, garbage disposal area, it's a, a large area of Staten Island. Um, mm-hmm. Has they've been trying to turn it into a park, and it will be a park, but it's a long process. Um, and so, unfortunately, I was hoping that you know it would be done before. <laughs> Um, right, the right. but but in sometime in the near future, it would have this incredible um, green space that was once a land uh, a landfill, a
0: garbage landfill. Yeah. Now. You know, New York is famous for its innovative parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can think of the High Line. You mm-hmm. can think of Brooklyn Bridge mm-hmm. Park. You can. Uh, there are some big names out there. Uh, but I would love to have you take us to. I think this one is in our final um, borough of Queens to a different kind of railway garden uh, at Smiling Hogshead Ranch. Mm-hmm. So
1: Smiling Hogs. Um, Ranch is such um, an incredible space. Again, one of those spaces that was unused and um, some very enterprising New Yorker um, decided that they will plant a garden there and um, managed to convince the authorities that it was a worthwhile um, venture, and mm-hmm. they are then allowed to keep the space as a um, community garden. So um, it's a bit ramshackle, it is, but it's beautiful in that way, um, and it stands. I think in the picture in the book you could see it. Stands in contrast with the high rises behind it in the background right 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 um so it is it is a place where you um really feel the sense of the spirit of the people um and it is incredibly rich in that when you see it i guess in the in like late summer there's fruit there's Grapes, their vegetables, and beans hanging off the vines, and tomatoes, and it is so beautiful in that bountiful way. And yeah, it, yeah. and um, you know they have these um nights where anyone can join and and come, and if you 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 can volunteer, you can work on the garden, but. If you don't have time, it's okay too. But you can sit down and have a meal afterwards. Yeah. And 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 it's and it is these things that make these spaces so rich for me.
0: I know I wanted to do just one garden per borough, mm-hmm. uh, except Manhattan. But Brooklyn also had a good many, and I would love to end with you sharing about one of the newer gardens in the book, and that is uh, back in Brooklyn, the the Shirley Chisholm. Park. yes will you will you share with people about this uh this new green space and all that it is holding
1: so this is one of the newer green spaces that um are in um that are more like a nature preserve which um given the um location it is an incredible location it's on the water it's on this beautiful um bay but for years it had been neglected um it was this it, it was a space that back in the 50s you know i think even robert moses wanted to do something there because it is a, an incredible natural asset but then it became a garbage dump um and for decades it was neglected and it was um a garbage dump. And then, but then it was, um, but then it was made into a park by covering the garbage. It took, um, I think in the book, uh, I said I I had the exact amount of. um, 1.2 million cubic feet
0: of new soil. Yes. Yes.
1: To um, recover this, place and it's and it's turned into what the place was always meant to be this incredible um natural preserve that has meadows that has all these different habitats there's like there's water there's a wetland uh there's meadows there's a little bit of a hill and there are Paths, walking paths through these um, meadows. Um, there are fishing piers. Um, so it's the kind of space that I think this was always meant to be. And we finally, mm-hmm. we finally got there after all these decades right. Of, right. of right degradation. We finally figured out that you know it it should it should be
0: a place of nature for people. And it, it shows us, which I think is exactly what the Staten Island, uh, I mean, uh, this, yeah, yes, Island? Fresh Kill, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the that park will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows us what we can achieve mm-hmm. if we give ourselves mm-hmm. the time, the focus, and the resources to do it. I mean, I, I think this started, I, I think you note that the first seeds for this p- park State Park, which opened in 2019, the first seeds were planted to reestablish the environment and the ecosystems in 2004. So, you know, we have to sometimes take the longer right. view. And in it, talk about why it's important that it honors Shirley Chisholm. Well, Shirley Chisholm
1: I had a, an interesting, um, career, she was very, very dynamic and outspoken. And, and and she believed in service. I think she she said I there's a funny quote from her. It's the service, the rent we pay for living. Um, and, and she was a real advocate for her community. And the fact that this this space was part of this community, but people never had access to it you know they they it was the most incredible natural asset, but it could have been a thousand miles away. it was just it it, it was right there but you know it was um completely um taken away from the community um yeah. Yeah. And so, I think that having the park there is just sort of restoring this, this, um, th- in part the the right of the people to the natural environment that they deserve.
0: You know, yeah. and and the right ways, hopefully, to communally restore, maintain. And then you make use of these places with respect for both people and place and plants mm-hmm. and, and animals. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. And it just to me was so powerful. Um, you know, for those who who might not remember, Shirley Chisholm was the first black US Congresswoman in 1968. And she was a as you describe here, a trailblazing educator and child welfare activist. So to have this immense and gorgeous mural of her right at the entrance to the park, it just brings together so many things we've gotten wrong that we know we can start to get more right, right. if we just put our heads and hearts and dollars uh, into right. it. Right, right. I think, you know, I think
1: a, a big part of... Um, what I've learned from this book is that we've have taken away in so like Robert Moses in the Bronx, for example, by building these um highways that cut through these neighborhoods, he just took away the rights of these communities to yeah. the environment that they deserve, right? And in these all these places all around the city that have these incredible natural environments that were just basically taken away from these communities Mm -hmm. and and we need to put them back. We need to restore them um, for those communities, but also for all of us, because those environments are important on a a global uh, scale as well, because for climate change, for everything, but importantly, it's the access to the natural world that we all need to have or deserve to have as well
0: and your your book goes a long way to helping these spaces become more visible, more valued uh, and and hopefully more accessible to more people. And I just I appreciate that, all the research that went into it. and Uh, the joy and celebration that you find in these pages leading you to these beautiful natural spaces uh, whether they are gardens or parks or cemeteries and thank you so much for your many gifts to the horticultural world Nock, and for being a guest on the program again today
1: thank you it's always a pleasure to talk to you
0: Noh No Noh is a photographer and artist based in New York City. Her newest book, New York Green, is out now from Hachette Book Group. In it, she celebrates public gardens in New York City, in all five boroughs, in all four seasons. There are parks and gardens you will have heard of. There are parks and gardens you will never have heard of. There are parks and gardens that are as old as the city itself and those that are almost brand new. Join us again next week when we continue our virtual late summer field trip to New York City in conversation this time with Richard Hayden, Director of Horticulture for New York's High Line, a garden reimagined on an elevated railway. Since opening to the public in 2009, the High Line has become an icon of contemporary American landscape architecture. That's next week right here. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you, through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you in advance. It is absolutely you who makes this program possible. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation and the Garden Conservancy. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Anhel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by DoList Transcription, and communication coordinator Sheila Stern. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian Tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. I love you, you yeah.